Hey everyone, it's Tyson. Thanks for listening to the I-5 Corridor's traffic report. Uh, This week we have a two-part episode, first checking in with Shane Hoffman recapping the high school state basketball championships, big upset from Tualatin over West Lynn, and then we bring on Chantel Jennings who checks in from The Athletic to preview the women's college basketball tournament and uh, get a little nostalgic about, uh, about Oregon, but... Uh, that's all coming up after the break. Remember, you can subscribe to the I-5 Corridor at i5corridor.com. Have a really great back and forth with Christian Capel from On Mont Lake this week. Um, but yeah, let's just, uh, jump right into it. Hey, happy Thursday, everyone, and welcome back to the I-5 Corridor's Traffic Report podcast. Tyson Alger here. Got a really great podcast for you guys today. Uh, second part of this, I have Chantel Jennings, senior writer from The Athletic, on to preview the Women's College Basketball Tournament. But first, I just wanted to like check in with Shane and see, how are you doing, man? Like It's, it's been a while. You live up in Portland now. I, I see you have a better Wi-Fi connection. Um, That's big, for sure. Yeah. How... Uh, have you slept much since uh, the high school tournament this weekend, which was unexpectedly amazing? <laughs> yeah, well, I was just telling you it was uh, it was unexpectedly amazing, and then the ensuing days after, I got I think twelve hours of sleep each night, and then the last two have been closing it on ten, so I'm probably overrested, but it took some time to kind of uh, like recuperate after it was all said and done. You, uh, it, it's just kind of funny. Cause like last year or last week I had you put out like the things to watch for the tournament, which I think we kind of both felt, I mean, there was definitely interesting stuff in there, but like when you got to like the topic of like Westlin and you know, who might actually be contenders to knock them off, like it kind of like felt like something you had to include, but then we get to this weekend and to Alton happens, right? It's, it's interesting because I wrote kind of between that and, and other work, I, I had wrote two written, excuse me, two pieces that kind of outlined like, well, if Westland's going to drop one, it might be Lincoln because they have all these big players and they boat raced Lincoln. Um, they took them out of the game immediately in a really kind of impressive performance. And it was, it was Tualatin all along a team, which I, you know, I, I wasn't in person for much of the season, but I covered both of their, um, first two playoff games and then he talked with their coach a good amount um, and, and whatnot and defending champs. And, and that's about as good as you could do for title defense is going to get another one and, and having one of the upset, you know, probably an all time upset over uh, Westland. I, I was actually thinking that like, um, I, yeah, I was with some friends over the weekend and like the, like that news actually like, uh, one of my buddies like saw it on Twitter and like it's somebody who doesn't care at all about high school sports. But I think there was enough of like general knowledge about what West Lynn was this year that like, they were like, Oh my God, like to Walton beat West Lynn. And it was like, yeah, like that's, and, and you know, it's got all the pieces too of like the Jackson, Jackson shell stat aspect to it of, of having like Peyton Pritchard there. And like, I saw the picture of like Pritchard kind of giving him a little pep talk and stuff. Like there was, there was a lot hanging on that. And Tualatin essentially beat what a lot of people are, were kind of pegging as like one of the best Oregon high school basketball teams ever. Well, it's interesting too, um, is, is, you know, the shell set angle is he had checked in terms of his local legacy, he had checked like every proverbial box. And it was, it almost seemed like an afterthought that he would go get the title, especially when they um, kind of waxed Lincoln the way they did. Um, and in a lot of ways, Tualatin and, Westland kind of mirror one another. They have these really dynamic point guards who are seniors who have had a lot of experience winning. 
two really good second options. Um, and then just a bunch of football players that just play their asses off and are undersized. Right. And, you know, Twalton had already lost them in football once this year. They lost them in basketball three times. And they kind of just executed the Westland um, recipe a little bit better. But it was funny, too, because it wasn't really ever a game, and it felt surreal. I mean, they scored one point in the first quarter, Westland did. They ended up getting down by, I think, 19 at some point in the third quarter. Um, and they just ran out of time at the end. But that being said, I don't think it was one of those games where they didn't lose. They just ran out of time. I think 12th was just through and through a better team. I mean, I mean, anytime like you come out with like that type of defensive effort in like the first quarter, like you're something worked well and you're, you're planning for that. Like it's, it's not just nerves with like a Westland team that is, is that, that, that talented. I mean, obviously to Alton, uh, the stage wasn't too big for them. How, how was the trials over the weekend? Like I, I, I didn't make it down there, but I saw plenty of tweets and stuff. Like it looked like it was, was rocking. Oh, it was fantastic. Um, I was thinking about this other day, like I've had, you know, I've been blessed with the chance to cover a lot of really cool events in a short amount of time doing sports journalism. Um, I've covered parts of two March Madnesses. I've covered, you know, some postseason football, um, some big preseason football games, all sorts of different things. This was by far my favorite thing. It helped that it was really? a several, several day event. It helped that I could just sit courtside and I got to kind of shoot this shit with some people um, next to me that I've known for a while on the prep scene and whatnot. Um, and, and kind of actually finding meeting a lot of these people in person. Um, yeah, it was, it was awesome. You know, I, I, I will add that I wasn't maybe working as hard as a few of the people there, but I, you know, I turned out, you know, I think 10 stories in about four days. So I was, I was doing my fair <laughs> yeah, share. I, I, I think, I think you were, you were holding your weight. Like, uh, as someone here, I, I, th- I think we've gone about six days on the corridor without like a substantial story. Uh, you doing, hey, I've got a vacation attempt. coming up. I've, yeah. got, I've got one coming up. <laughs> yeah. No, you know. but it was, it was, it was great. And especially interesting after we covered the PKI, both you and I earlier this year and how underwhelming those crowds were, even in the Childs. Um, you know, there were some games that were certainly, um, smaller crowds, but for the most part, especially the last few days, every crowd was awesome. I mean, it was, you, you mentioned Pritchard, but. I mean, there was a ton of, you know, kind of local uh, Oregon legends in the, or, you know, or soon to be legends in the building for that, especially for that title game. I mean, um, Altman, of course, was there. I heard Brandon Cooks was there. Terrence Jones, if you want to go way back, um, was there. And, you know, Mookie Cook, who's Shellstad's uh, class, but went, went to play prep somewhere else, but is also going to Oregon next year, was there. Um, just a just a kind of a, a star-studded event. And, you know, a lot of the games were, were fantastic. Well, and... Like you needed to get it in because like there's not really a whole lot of like Oregon tournaments going on this week uh, <laughs> between <laughs> between Oregon and Oregon State being shut out on the men's and women's side. I think for the first time since 2013. I mean, I don't know. May, maybe you filled out your WNIT and NIT brackets, but it's uh, it's kind of weird here to be like podcasting on March 15th and like having outside if we want to do like a real deep dive on the Portland pilots who made the women's tournament, congratulations, <laughs> uh, been a really good four years for them since, uh, they, they started with their new coach, but, um, you know, going back to the Childs, that's where we kind of like started a little bit of the, the hoops coverage this year with, you know, seeing how the ducks and the beavers were doing there. And it really yeah, was the just, peak. If we're going to be honest. Oh, dude, dude, like, like, no, hoops. like, well, like honest to God, like that was kind of like, that was kind of the peak for them too. Like as they were getting their seasons going and like for the, for like the ducks men, it was kind of like, Oh, we're getting some of our guys back. Like we're getting healthy. Here we go. And then like, just for, 
for all four teams that never really materialized. Although I guess for Oregon State, you could say it materialized because they won like three times more games than they did last year. But hey, hey, that's not saying that much. one won't be <laughs> showing up in the in the worst takes draft next year. Yeah, um, yeah, it's just like I, you know, the the bracket came out on Sunday. Um, tournament starts Thursday morning. Like, is like, what's what's registering you for like on on the men's side? Um, like, is is there is there anything like you know, you know like have you been following much this year, or did kind of Oregon being out of the picture for much of the year kind of take away some of your just in terms of the amount like that you've paid attention? No, yeah, I, you know, I actually haven't followed this year as much as I normally like to. And that being said, normally like there is a lot going on, so it's hard for me to focus on too much. Um, but yeah, Oregon being kind of mediocre didn't help. Um, I have some more thoughts on them in a second. And then, you know, quite honestly, I just got so busy with high school basketball and the parody, you know, not necessarily like, uh, you know, the parody on the, on the girls side of that. And then all these other really interesting teams. So I got kind of distracted. Um, I'm, I'm definitely getting back into it now. I've been listening to stuff. I've been reading yeah, stuff. I, I, I still, I still out, have to fill but... up my bracket tonight and I, th- this is going to be like, this is going to be a gut year. Like I, I, well, <laughs> It's funny you say that though, because I was going through it and I'm like, you know what, this might be the year because I don't really know what the fuck I'm doing. And <laughs> yeah, this might actually be a great thing because I can just go through and kind of, you know, I know, I know players, I know some storylines here and there. I'm, I'm depending on some people's knowledge to help me as well, but it's always a crapshoot, right? I, I, yeah. Well, I was going to say like, it's a crapshoot for people who like know what they're doing like with it, like between like NFL mock drafts and like bracketologists, like, is there ever a profession where nothing happens to you if you get things wrong all the time? Well, that you know, the, the epitome of that is I was earlier today, I was going through, I was doing some more like busy work. So I was listening to something while I was going through and I'm listening to one podcast of both, both of these people on different podcasts, super tapped in. Right. And one throws out Arizona as one of his title favorites for a variety of reasons. The other one goes, there isn't a high, high seed or a, you know, a top whatever team that worries me more than Arizona just the complete opposite. And I was like, well, this is why I shouldn't be listening to anyone else. I should just go with my gut. Right. So I'm, right. I'm curious with your gut, with, you know, what limited hoops you've watched this year, what stands out to you? I know you kind of asked me, me that question originally, but I'm flipping it back to you because I'm curious to hear where you start. I do like the basketball UCLA and Arizona played this year. Like I, I think just at least like those two being kind of perennially in, you know, mm-hmm. the top 10, 25, like it was, I, I don't I don't think the Pac-12 was cookie cutter this year. I also like I don't think the Pac-12 was elite outside of those two. But like like even like take Oregon, a team that finished like mid range in the Pac-12, they were the four seed. Like that's that's still not an easy team to get through. Like in fall, like you mm-hmm. know they, they they have their flaws in terms of like putting together like a run. But like and Folly Dante is not easy to play against. Like Will Richardson has played in a lot of these. You know, like I I think there's a lot of tested teams coming like out of those two. So. That's where my gut goes with there. So, like, I wouldn't be surprised if we get like a you know sweet sixteen showing from both of them. But I mean, this this yeah, like like this is going to be the one of those ones where like I probably pick a lot of favorites. Then I'll go back through and look and be like, oh, there's too many favorites. And then you kind of start doing like <laughs> right, a, right. It's kind of like like if you're tw- trimming a mustache a little bit, it's like too mm. much on one side, and then you got to go tweak on this, and then next thing you know, I, you're yeah, just, I can't you know. quite relate to that one as much as you maybe can. I've seen you with um, a little facial hair before. You, a little bit. You know, a little you're, bit. What, you know what? You're like you're like 22 now. Like you can, you can start 23. Working we're getting 23, there. So, yeah. No. So yeah, you you raise good points. You know, I think with without Jalen Clark, who is you know I think UCLA's best perimeter defender and I think probably their third scoring option, that's gonna be tough. Yeah, that's, that's a little bit. Uh, 
Uh, Arizona, I do like the Pac-12 well. title game was fun. Like I, I yes. seriously yes. enjoyed watching that game. Absolutely, Arizona is funny because um, they've been better this year than I thought because I lost all those guys last year. Last year's team, I like I liked watching them more. They were so fun last year. And I was really I think they were my title pick in one or two brackets. This year, I think I have them going pretty far. But I, I Alabama is the team I'm riding with because it. It makes too much sense and also makes no sense given the legal actions that's happening around the team. Um, but they've also just been the team that when I have watched, like, oh, that's the best team. In no, the, Alabama's definitely going to win because we all deserve just like a nightmare three weeks of like first take of like them debating yep. like the. Yeah, should Brandon Miller even be playing? You know, stuff like yeah. that. Yeah, boy, what a mess. What I, a... I, wanted, I wanted to throw out a I have a, I have a, a, a real quick thought on Oregon. Um, I actually uh, at both the men's and the women's program, you've covered sports for four or five times as long as I have to this point. I mean, you're getting up there, right? <laughs> anyway, well, well, well played. Thank you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you, uh, you've, you've covered a lot of great hoops as well with hoops, especially, but this, this relates to all sports, the hardest type of team to cover. It's not the, it's not the, the great teams. It's not the piss poor teams. It's these weird in between teams, and that's what Oregon has been for two seasons now. Because they they are not bad enough to bottom out. The fact that we're treating it like they're bottoming out when they're a mid tier team shows how good these teams have been. But it's also like I couldn't get on board with the well. They still have a chance to make the tournament for the last three weeks because I didn't think they did. I I've I've been going back and forth with this kind of concept quite a bit the last few weeks, just because like you you see a lot of like the internet chatter of like. Mm-hmm. You know, like let's 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 center on the men's side for right now. Of just, you know, it's it's kind of a lot of the stuff that I wrote in like my obit column last year. Of just, you know, this team has everything pointing towards like it should be succeeding at the highest levels, but it just kind of doesn't. Like whether it be injuries or fit or turnover or whatever, like it's just it's been a struggle to be one of the best teams in college basketball. The Ducks have still been like above average for quite yeah. some time I, you could even say good yeah and so like that's that's kind of like what you have to grapple with a little bit because like unquestionably like dana altman is the best oregon men's basketball coach of all time like his again it's a headline this year and last year that they don't make the tournament and that's just because they've made the tournament in like 80 percent of the years he's coached and so, right like, and they're still like they've been on the first four out for like a month now yeah too, you know? so it's but it's like that kind of chicken and the egg sort of thing of like because of what Altman did and brought like the overall expectations froze within the program. But then at the same time, like that doesn't give him a whole lot of wiggle room when you have a bad season or in this case, two bad seasons, because again, they were the fourth seed in the PAC 12 this year. It's not like they're bottoming out like, like Oregon state did last year. Um, But Oregon basketball is in an interesting position where I think the fan base only really cares about it. If they're in like the top, two or three of the Pac-12 are like within that conversation or going to March Madness. I mean, you saw this year with the declining attendance. Um, I, I think it, I think it just sets things up for like a mm-hmm. really, really important year next year. Like, I, I don't think, I don't think that like, should the ducks move on from Altman stuff should be warranted yet, but like next year, I think it's legit. Cause like last year you can blame as like injuries this year, like this year you could even say he did a bad job, but like, I think he's earned more than like one bad job. But also with like the the changing landscape of, of collegiate athletics, conferences are changing. There's a lot of money being shifting hands. Like, you know, you 
you always kind of have to be looking five years ahead of now. And like, you know, I think, I think for Oregon, it's probably safe to say five years from now, Altman's probably not going to be the coach, right? Like five, what is he? Like I don't 66? think that's yeah. crazy. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's weird. Cause the other thing that's been tough is like the way that these seasons have fallen apart and these seasons that I guess the trajectories have been the same for the last two years. You lose a lot of, you know, early non-conference games pretty badly. You know, there was more injuries this year than there were last year where it was more of a fit thing. Um, both teams are abysmal in terms of three-point shooting. I mean, just like two of the worst of all time in terms of the program, especially under Allman. And then they've just gotten so behind everything with these conference losses that there wasn't enough time unless they played perfect basketball or near-perfect basketball to catch up as the season went on. And and a roster doesn't gel well if your requirement from, like, January on is play perfect basketball. Like, that's 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 not a great incubator for, like, people mm-hmm. going out and, like, finding their flow or this or that. Like, that's, that's what the Ducks should be doing in October and November. Right. And there's so much roster turnover, which, you know, Altman's been so touted as this, you know, the Rubik's Cube aligner, if you want to do that one, right? And it's worked really well, but there's something to this this turnover and it not working, right? You talked about fans not being interested if Oregon wasn't in the top two or three. The fact of the matter is, it's because the top outside of the top two or three in the Pac-12, those teams just haven't mattered. They haven't right. made March Madness games. They've been disrespected. And you could say that's wrong, or you can say that's, you know, warranted. I kind of fall in between. Like, I don't, I don't, I think the Pac-12 does get some hate, but I think sometimes it's warranted because the product that's out there, um, it's it's tough. And, you know, you know, it's weird. It'll be interesting to see this year because the Pac-12 has had success in tournaments of years recent. Um, and they still kind of get underseeded and not a lot of teams make it. So that'll be interesting to watch. But you talked about, you know, how many bad years does all. Is this roster is going to look super different again. And, you know, I think Shellstad could actually come in and start right away. But the other two big recruits, um, they're guys that just don't really seem like they'll play early and succeed in the Altman system, as so, so many other five stars have not done. So so, so that's the thing is, with Altman's teams, I'm done getting – or I'm done basing their, their next year's success on anything about their current recruiting class. Because as we've – I mean, like – Kellel Ware is still projected as a first round pick, despite like basically being a shell of what people expected him to be this year, just in terms of He's had moments. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's it's so that like that's the thing. It's like you can you can see moments of like yeah, that's why that guy is so highly sought after. But we have at this point, you know, probably like five or six examples of like Altman not um bending the program to the demands of like what a traditional five-star might, might demand of mm-hmm. whether it be like playing time or, you know, this, this or that. Um, what do they say? Like, so uh, Cuisinart's coming back, Dante, they haven't announced. Yeah. Yet. We got to figure out a better pronunciation of that, but yeah, he's coming back. I believe. Yes. Here, here you, um, you, you, you say not it. a Cuisinart or whatever those little machines are in the kitchen, but yeah, yeah. he's coming back. <laughs> you, um, you, here, uh, te- teach me better. Shane. I think it's Cousinard. Yeah, there you have it, fans. You watch you watch Barry. They have a Cousineau in, in Barry, you know? <laughs> think of that. Good Barry job. Is that coming back? Uh, boy. It's it's coming. We're, 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 we're getting close to prepare yourselves, audience, because I think Shane and I might have to do like a weekly succession recap. Like we're we're turning it's this at into at least like a the, five, ten minute this, kind of yeah, yeah, we're turning this into the Ringer Podcast Network and this is the uh the prestige TV podcast, but <laughs> Um, um, well, what I was going to, I was going to counter your, before we get too off the rails here, 
Like I'm curious to know like what what does Altman need to succeed at this at this point because he has these crazy um, monologues now where he'll talk about his old players in this way where it's like damn he really misses those guys because he doesn't feel like these guys can get it done it's very clear but you look at it it's like there was one freshman on this year's team and it was a five star it was a versatile big man a five star it wasn't like a point guard who you know those those guys really tend to struggle with the with the quick leaps in competition. And then everyone else was, you know, a veteran. And yet they were kind of a middling team. I know they had injuries. Like, what is a good Altman team? You, what is that recipe now? Do you know what's there? There is no uh, analytical or science back to what I'm about to say, but it's just like. Right, because that's it, what we're known for. Is right. It's, it's, just, it's, it's, it's just a gut sports writer feeling. Every one of Altman's like really good teams have always had a veteran player that seems like they have some sort of adversarial relationship with Altman, but they both end up getting to where they need are basically like guys that like that Altman can get on and they can get on Altman. I'm talking Peyton Pritchard. I'm talking Dylan Brooks. I'm talking Joseph Young back from the 2014 team of, of players of players who kind of needed Altman as much as Altman needed them. Like, like I think, I think his teams are always really great when he just has like that, real tight relationship with like one player who can carry the, cause I mean like that kind of seems like what the ducks have been missing this year is just like, well, or the last couple of years yeah. is, is somebody that feels like they can hold that pressure and carry that pressure and tell the coach to F off, but still listen to him. Like as a, you know, like, like I, yeah, I, th- I, I, th- I, I thought those guys challenged Altman so much during his time. And I don't, I don't know if that's the same case right now. Yeah. I genuinely, for as much of a fan of his as I've been, I don't know if Richardson was Will Richardson, excuse me, was that guy. Right. So I think there's a case that it could be Shellstad and that Altman stays until Shellstad's career is over. And you look at Shellstad given his height, he's he's like two inches shorter than Pritchard. He's more athletic, but he's like two inches shorter. Given that, I doubt he leaves school too early. I think he plays at least two seasons, if not three or four. And then you're like, okay, that could probably be the guy. And having just watched him play multiple games courtside, um, He's so freaking fast, dude. dude he's and good. He gets to that mid-range jumper. That, that little, that little step back mid-range I've, too. Oh it's, my god! Almost any guard I've seen in person. I'm trying to think who it would be, but definitely up that close, he gets to it easier. I, and I, he's a dog. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't think it's outlandish to at least link the kind of final act of Altman's career being linked to the success of Jackson Shellstead at Oregon. Mm-hmm. Shell well, and what they build around him. It makes so much sense because of the Pritchard um, kind of thing. And and there's been a lot of continuity at the point guard position because he went from Pritchard um, to Richardson, and now it's probably going to be Shellstad. I wasn't sure about Shellstad at first of how early he would contribute. And now I think it'd be, I would be surprised if, unless they bring some really highly talented guy in above him, I think he just starts. But then it's like, what do you do around him? Because it's like, I look at the guys on the roster now, and I'm not really sure how they all fit together. And granted, it's going to look so different. But like, some of these guys have just not really lived up to the billing. Quincy Garrier comes to mind, like really good dude. Like, all I love talking to him. And I, th- I don't really know if it was totally his fault because I think he just didn't really fit the scheme very well. But he, yeah, he just kind of didn't pan out. And Kuznard and Bartholomew have had their moments, but I don't know how they fit with the shelf studs. So moving forward, I just, I really don't know what to think. But if Bronny comes, then all of a sudden everyone's back in, right? Which you know would seemingly make no sense because. So, yeah, go ahead. If Bron in in college, does Bronny play shooting guard or point? Yes. Okay. He's a shooting guard, and he, I think he's a. I think he actually makes a lot of sense. I think he. I think 
I think Altman would actually love his archetype. Like if you put him like hypothetically, like a a, a, a backcourt between him and Shellstad at the college level would make a lot of sense. Like those, I mean, their just, like peak college forms would be really good together. Just two ball handers can create their own shot, distribute like that. And I mean, def- yeah. and they both really defend. Yeah. It'll, yeah. I hope it goes well, man. Like, I, you know, like we, we're not like, we don't, we pretend like we're not fans and that sort of thing, but like, it's, it's a lot more fun when Oregon's in the turn. I mean, that's the, the most obvious thing you could possibly say, mm-hmm. but like, you know, going back to, uh, what year was it when, was that 2020 with the, when Oregon state made the, oh, I guess 21, when Oregon state made the fight, uh, the lead eight and Oregon was still in mm-hmm. it. And yeah, just, just need to get back to those days, man. Yeah, it's not. Yeah, like you said, it's not about fandom. It's about work being more fun. I guess. Like, I haven't even wanted to write something about Oregon. That's kind of a telltale sign. Like, usually, like it's pretty easy for me to get excited about teams and players and want to write about them, and I haven't wanted well, to do that. Well, and and the other thing too. I mean, like even thinking from like a business standpoint, I was like, man, like that that end of season Altman obit column that I wrote last year. Uh, that was like one of my best selling stories of like. Mm-hmm. All, of, all of the corridor so far but it's like what do i write this year it's kind of the same song like it's kind of the same story right you it's can't just, you can't do the same thing again yeah. i was talking to someone about that the other I, day. I can't, I can't flame out shams again you know <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean if you have any more nuggets like that that might be nice but yeah that's been a tough thing it's like i feel like everything and i mean i can't imagine having to be a beat reporter where you're at every one of these games because the storyline is the exact same every single time there's only so many ways to rewrite that in a different way um, we're going to get into the women's side of things with Chantel here shortly. Uh, before we jump over to that, spring football starts tomorrow. And does does that the beauty for you of being an independent journalist now and not uh, living in Eugene is you probably don't give two shits about spring football. But mm. you know, you know what 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 do you think about spring so far, Shane? Yeah, I mean, it, like it's crazy. Not only did March Madness sneak up on me, which is I can't believe that happened because it's it's called the the month where it, it's it's named after the month when it happens, unlike spring football. But spring football also snuck up on me. But so is Kansas uh, both, City, and that's technically in Missouri. It, okay, know? all right, all right, all right. Um, Bo Nix <laughs> looked like look, he looked large in some of those um, combine pictures. I'm ready. I want to. This isn't a spring football thing, but I'm ready to see it, especially going off to going off of. So you can tell I haven't been on podcast in a while. I'm just tripping over myself here. Um, The piece you wrote about him as well. Like, I'm, I want to, I'm curious to see how he dials things up this last year. And like, because wasn't one of the things he told you was that he focused on making his, I guess, building his body in a way that he, that, that kind of hit couldn't take him out of a game. Right. Right. Yeah. He, uh, he kind of just said, like, going into this offseason, like, what he heard from the NFL level a lot was just like, don't, don't like shy away from like what you're really good at. And like last year, right. Bo realized like, Hey, like this is a big freaking strength of mine. Um, mm-hmm. Not only, not only was he fast, but like he was pretty powerful in the way he ran at times. And yeah, I yeah. think just leaning into that and he's, you know, we, we didn't get into like how much weight he's put on. You'll be able to see that when the rosters come out, but um yeah, I I think that I, I think that'll be really good for him. The thing you always run mm-hmm. into is just like, how is this going to affect his throwing? Mo-? You know, it's kind of linking linking yeah, the two. Yeah, but yeah. I think well, it'll be okay. This, <laughs> I think he will too. And, and that being said, though, I, honestly, offensively, there's not much I'm looking specifically looking at. I think it'll kind of just look like it did last year. It's not like we're unveiling the new you know deep threat offense that was a storyline last year. A lot of the storylines in spring football. Uh, um, how do I put this kindly? Are a waste of time. 
Like, that's just how it is mostly. <laughs> yeah. I mean, think about no, truly. I mean, I mean there's the stuff that you can write in the fall. Year. Yeah, yeah. Think about the things we talked about last year. This time it was like Byron Cardwell's the number one running back. You know, that Sewell and Flo are going to be like the best linebacking duo in school history. Like this defense is going to be so good, and it was like starkly the opposite of those things. Yeah. So yeah. defense is what I'm watching. And can some some playmakers emerge? But that being said, it's spring ball. Yeah, yeah. I I think it's hard to really gauge anything from spring ball unless you have like a full blown quarterback competition, which Oregon doesn't. Um, unless you have a new coach, which Oregon doesn't. Um, you, yeah, I, I think defense will be the the thing to write stories on. But like, I don't I don't really know how you kind of pick up from that. It, it, it was fascinating though to see from pro day. Of all, like the names of like people that scouts probably actually came to watch were probably Christian Gonzalez, Noah Sewell, DJ Johnson, Bennett Williams, yeah. like a lot of guys on the defense, which would make you think that Oregon had a pretty good defense last year, right? No, yeah, it's weird. Yeah, so isn't it? yeah, and so I I know there's I know there's some talk this year of like you know you're getting getting landings guys in and they they got some pretty big transfers like Birch from from the SEC but it's a lot of new faces and I don't think we're going to have any feel for how this roster actually looks on the defensive side of the ball until probably like week three of the season and that's how I feel about Oregon State too like you said there's not a new coach um there's maybe a little bit more of a quarterback quote-unquote battle but I wouldn't even call it that to be quite honestly or to be quite honest excuse me um, but there's a new quarterback and I think people for as great as last season was forget how many pieces they're losing on that defense. That'll be really interesting. I think they'll be really good again. I think they'll be able to replace them, but there is a lot of pieces. So I am excited to at some point head down to, um, you know, fingers crossed I actually make this happen. Uh, but you know, Oregon state and Oregon spring practices and, you know, hopefully spring games as well. Last question I want to get you out of here on. And it's brought up because again, you have nice internet connection again. You got a lot of like volume to the hair today. Like, have you really, have you ever, cause this, this is what your generation is doing. And I'm, I've full on embraced this. Like you guys are kind of bringing the mullet back a bit. Like, have well, you, my, you know, one of my roommates is, is full on mullet. Oh, see, that's tough. Cause one. you don't, you don't want to do like the, the copycat, right. Or is that, well, so I just don't have the hair for it. You said I have volume, but I have really thin hair. So it's hard for me to really, I mean, it does stand up like this, but it doesn't grow out, you know, lusciously in the back. So, you know, like I said one of them is rocking it. The other one um, right now is, is doing the flow thing. It's not, mm-hmm. you couldn't call it mullet, but it's flow. It's a lot of, yeah, you, you, it, it looks good in a hockey helmet. Yeah. But yeah, around here it's just beanies, it, it different <laughs> shapes, sizes, colors, you know, wh- whatever. It's just beanies, 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 and some, you know, some dickies. But um, yeah, no, I, I wish I could maybe rock that, but I don't want, I don't want to do what everyone else is doing, you know. Yeah, we'll we'll get you there. We'll get you there. Uh, mm-hmm. Oh, actually, the last thing I was going to ask. Uh, now that this is like two weeks since you moved to Portland, any new food spots? Oh man, oh man, yes. And it's been it's been a little longer than two weeks, but now that I'm fully settled. Yes, the yeah. I woke up in a not the best frame of mind. If you if you feel me uh, on the Saturday of of, of the, the the title games, and a lot of like, networking. It's all all the networking. Yeah, and I needed some good food, um, something preferably that was you know would would you know tie me over. Would have some good helpings, some grease maybe. 
Sure. So this place in Alberta, it's uh, and I can't pronounce the name. It, it's a Hawaiian place. Shout out Andy Bueller, actually. He put me on, friend of the podcast. Um, grind wit, wit, grind, grind wit. It's, it's the word grind and it's W I T and it's, I think it's T Y Z or T R Z, something like that. Grind wit riz or something. Anyways, Cuisinart. <laughs> right. So I sent you a picture. I sent you a picture of this. Looked too deeply at the picture, but it, you know, for 20 something dollars, I think it was 24 bucks. You get the rice, you get the mac salad. And I picked three proteins. I got the kind of breaded chicken with the sauce on it. I got the little uh, short ribs, pretty good. A little chewy, but pretty good. And I got this poke, this ginger umami poke. My gosh, the helpings were enormous. The food was delicious. It will be a repeat spot. If I can figure right, out how well, to it. That is Shane Hoffman. Thank you for joining us on today's traffic report. And we're going to take a quick break. And coming up next is Chantel Jennings. Hey, just a quick note before we get to Chantel. I apologize for my mic audio in the upcoming interview. It's not great. Chantel's is better. It's still fun. Here it is college basketball season. So we're going to bring back Chantel Jennings, senior writer of The Athletic. You may remember her from, I believe it was around this time last year that we came or we had her come do a women's basketball bracket preview. We'll get into that stuff later. Chantel, how are you doing? It's nice to see you. It's good to see you too, Tyson. Uh, your your listeners probably think that we talk exactly once a year, mid-March, um, and that is the but basis of our friendship. That that does make for a good podcast, though, because we can mm-hmm. just catch up and I can kind of just edit in the good bits. Um, yep, that's fair. How's your year been? It's been good. It's been good. Um, I'm about two inches taller. Um, wow. I lost like, I lost, like 20... Spurt. Yes. Uh, I lost like 20 pounds, gained like 15 and then like back down another four, you know, like it's progress where, yeah. Uh, I see a bunch of snow in your window. Um, do you miss miss Portland yet? Cause it's, I don't know. I don't know if you read my story about being trapped on the highway for like 10 hours, but like it's. Oh, I saw that. (laughs) Uh, my husband and I were like going back and forth, just cracking up about your Instagram stories. And like, thank God that was so annoying. Oregon drivers had no idea what to do. I don't know if that was, I mean, I think that was a legitimate snowstorm as opposed to 2019. Was it 2019, 2018 when it was like half an inch and everyone lost their minds? Well, that one was, there was just like, it was like a the mixture of like that and a bunch of ice, I think, because we were without, mm-hmm. I think that was 19. We were out of power for like almost like a full day, which was eventful. Um, okay. But you're, you're the Minnesotan. I'm the Alaskan. I will, I will grant Portland that that was a respectable amount of snow that we had a couple of weeks ago. Um, but your drivers are still terrible. Yeah. But I'll also say this, this is the one part of, well, there's a few parts of Oregon I don't miss. Um, one thing that you might notice right now is that there's sunshine on my face as well. Mm-hmm. Um, in the I just I, winter. I just figured that's like the senior writer. They give you a really nice light. Oh, the really nice, those lights at the Instagram. No, I yeah. don't have an Instagram influencer light. That's just the natural sunlight coming through our windows. Mm-hmm. It's nice to see the sun in the winter. Um, <laughs> that part is really nice. You don't necessarily want to step outside, but you can see the sun, which is pleasant. And the other part that I didn't really think about before moving here that now I'm like, oh, God, I'm so glad I live here. One of my least favorite things as someone that didn't have a garage or like an attached awning in Oregon was that every time you got groceries in the winter and 
all right, so I didn't bring my cloth bags every time to the grocery store. You would like have your paper bags and you'd walk from your car to the front door and they would like break half the time because they'd get wet. And that doesn't happen here. Um, so are you, you know, a, do you, do you the hold the paper bag with the handles or cause like I'm, I don't trust anything. I'm, I'm like a cradle, the, the paper. Yeah. Bags. Not like, after Oregon. The, I, yeah. After Oregon, I'm a cradler, but I don't have to be a cradler here. And then you can carry more. It's fewer trips from the car. It's just a much more efficient way to live. Top 10 reasons to move to Minnesota. Your grocery bags don't break in the winter. Well, what was the coldest temperature you shoveled snow in this year, Chantal? Well, I didn't have to shovel snow at all this year. True. Yeah, actually, that's a good point. <laughs> <laughs> well, what, what was what was the coldest temperature Maxwell had to shovel snow in this year? You know? mm, well, he also doesn't shovel because we have a gas-powered snowblower. Hell yeah. <laughs> so he, I would say last year, that was like a toy he really enjoyed having because it is also self-propelling. Um, so it's kind of fun, I guess. And, and he always enjoys that. But this year we have some ungodly amount of snow, like two and a half more feet than normal. And so it's like Jeez. we've gotten to point now where you wake up and you're like, are you fucking kidding me? Again? <laughs> um, and I don't even shovel. And that's how I feel. Um, so I think he's getting a little bothered and annoyed by the snowblower at this point in the year. But yeah, I don't know. I, I do know that we've had to like buy extra gas for it this year, which is different than last year. So, well, let's get to the important stuff. Um, this has been kind of a weird women's college basketball year in the state of Oregon, uh, a state where for the last, you know, six, seven years has been like a, a pretty big epicenter uh, for women's college basketball, just with the success of the Ducks and the Beavers have had. And apparently Portland now uh, down at the child center, they've, they've built a juggernaut. The, uh, they're playing uh, Oklahoma in, in the first round, but it's, it's just, it's just weird not having the Ducks and Beavers in the tournament. And I think there's been a general lack of following this. Uh, the general interest in the sport hasn't quite been there as, as much this year, which is why I wanted to like have like a full tournament preview just to catch up before like the awesomeness of, of the game start. And so I, I just wanted to ask you, how was this season? What, what are you, what are you excited about coming into this week? How many stories have you filed? Have you slept? Are you tired? This is, I'm amazed that you had time to come onto the podcast this week because this is your busy time of the season. This is a busy time, but I just uh, I just finished filing another story, so I had an opening this afternoon for my Perfect. good friend Tyson. Um, yeah, I mean it's been crazy, but that's kind of what you expected. March. This is right. uh, you know the nice part of sort of seasonal sports writing, um, or when you follow a season and you're not just covering like everything. Is that you know you look forward to these times of year, and then you also look forward to the times where it's a little slower. You can work on longer projects, but. Um, no, it's been it's been super busy between getting ready for March Madness. The transfer transfer portal is starting to have some names pop into it. Coaching jobs are opening across the country. Um, so there's just a lot happening all at once. And it just sort of feels like, especially with the portal over the last few years, like a very busy time has become even more busy. So I'm sleeping a fair amount. I'm sleeping enough to function. The coffee makes up for that. So that's nice. Um, but otherwise, no, I'm I'm mostly just really excited for the tournament games to start. Where, where are you going to be covering? So I will be in home for the first two rounds. And I guess I don't know when this airs. And so perhaps by the time it is. It'll, um, it'll, prob it'll, it'll, prob it'll probably air Thursday morning. 
Okay, so games will have already happened, so don't get in my follow or don't get in my mentions, you <laughs> crazy <laughs> Illinois fans um, that follow the I five corridor. Um, we're we're, but, we're huge, just right outside of Chicago. Yeah, yeah. I I saw the t shirts when I was uh, getting oh, yeah. out there this summer, um, but no. So I will be home for the first and second round just because. You know, you end up picking a spot and then, of course, you pick a place where there's a blowout and then you can't change the channel. And so I'll be home for the first and second rounds and then I'll be going to Greenville for the Super Regional, um, which is a new thing this year, as opposed to four regionals. They've compressed it to two. So two of the regionals will be played in Greenville, two will be played in Seattle. So if you guys... Um, who are listening have nothing going on that weekend you should really head up to Seattle because there's going to be some amazing basketball I think you know I'm I'm pretty jealous of some of the matchups and teams that'll be up there where my colleagues will be covering but I'll be in Greenville and then Dallas for the final four cool awesome is uh the ones in Seattle are they at the uh the, the climate pledge arena mm-hmm. or that where the crack okay that's the coolest stadium I've ever been into so definitely definitely yeah. go check that out if, if, you're, well, if you're listening and it's it's going to be like Stanford is there. Iowa's there. I mean, if they get through the first two rounds, UConn could be there, North Carolina, Ohio State, USC, potentially, um, Virginia Tech, Texas, um, Duke. Like there's going to be some potentially some really, really good teams, some really, really good matchups in Seattle. You you mentioned Iowa, and that's actually what caught my attention a couple of weeks ago because I was reading your it was kind of gamer slash feature from uh, the the Big Ten title game and Caitlin Clark and who is just an absurdly fantastic basketball player and really fun to watch and just reading your profile about that it it just really kind of took me back to almost like the Sabrina era at Oregon because it's so so much of your story isn't just about like how good she is on the basketball court it's just kind of like the whole kind of presence that that comes with her and follows her and, and, the, and just the, the fans that have been, you know, new fans and kind of like the aura around that program. And you were in Oregon when Sabrina was playing here. And obviously you, you were in this role towards the, 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 the um, back end of that as well. And I just wanted to kind of ask you, like having covered Caitlin Clark and having covered Sabrina a little bit, like, am, am I so out of touch to think that those are kind of similar comps in terms of just like the, the, the Caitlin Clark showness that 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 comes along with uh, her being in the program. Yeah, I think so. In term, especially in terms of like, you know, the triple doubles, like that competitor yeah. is there, which feels uh, like low hanging fruit. Like Sabrina is number one in NCAA history. Caitlin's number two, um, and so with Caitlin potentially having two more years to catch Sabrina, I think she could uh, if she decides to use her COVID year. So I think that's there. I think the um, the big plays are there. I think Caitlin probably has more range, um, probably hits a few more logo threes. I think Sabrina had a bit more physicality, would finish a little better in the paint um, in terms of just like looking at their games. But, you know, just in terms of them as shooters, scorers, passers, playmakers, people who are putting their own programs sort of on a final four-ish stage, that level at least of play, Um and just sort of these personalities where they go outside of just the women's college basketball bubble. You have NBA players, NFL players sort of taking attention um, of, to their games. And uh, yeah, I think the word also that just comes to mind is like, it's fun. It was fun to watch Sabrina just do what she did. It is, you know, having sat courtside at the Big Ten championship game 
you know, as Caitlin is like running three feet in front of me, like pumping up the crowd, like it's just fun. It's just so much fun. I I love that that photo you tweeted out of like this might not be the best picture, but I you feel felt like it encapsulated it pretty well, and it it was that it was her running down the court with like a big kind of out of focus mm-hmm. smile, and it was just yeah, like it. I I thought that was perfect. <laughs> yeah, it it was. I mean, they sold they didn't sell out the Target Center. I think there were you know fifteen thousand people or something there. They set a record, but it was ninety five percent Iowa fans. Iowa is not far from Minnesota, obviously. University of Iowa is like a five and a half, six hour drive from Minneapolis. Iowa fans travel very, very well. Um, And so just being in that environment, uh, you know, Ohio State had like five people there cheering for them, it felt like at times, because the Iowa fans were just so engaged. And I think the coolest part too of that is, you know, they she was going, she was really close to a triple double. She was on like triple double watch at halftime, but every single person in the gym knew when she got her 10th rebound to get the triple double, that it was like, you know, the game was already clearly, I was going to win it. It was, you know, out of hand a bit. And, but, you know, she chases down this rebound and it was like the greatest basketball play (laughs) that had ever happened to 15,000 people in that arena. Um, So just a really cool environment to be a part of. And, you know, I, I, don't say this lightly, but she is a generational player and to sort of be able to watch her at this point in her career, knowing what she could do in the WNBA over the next two decades feels pretty special. What, uh, in addition to her, like, like what are your other things that like to, to watch for this tournament? I mean, I know that's a very open-ended question, <laughs> but just, you know, kind of, especially as we head into kind of the first like major weekend and, and beyond granted again this is being posted tomorrow morning but like what's what, what's kind of the theme of, the, of this year's tournament i think the theme is that there were for me there were six teams that had arguments to be number one seeds um and so i think looking at those six teams and even you know the top two seeds in each region are just so so skilled um, South Carolina obviously got the number one overall seed. No surprise there. They have a very favorable path to Dallas in the women's tournament, as Oregon and Oregon State fans will remember. If you're a top 16 team or a top four seed out of your region, you host. And so the Gamecocks will host the first weekend, assuming they win both games, which I think they will. They'll travel to Greenville, South Carolina, which is about two hours away. Um with a potential path to the final four. So that would be like Oregon hosting the first two rounds and then going to the Moda Center, basically, to play right. uh, for a chance to go to the final four. So very favorable path for South Carolina. But even if the Gamecocks didn't have a favorable path, I think they'd get there. I have them picked right now as my national champions, simply because um, one of one of the things that I think is really going to happen over the next five years in college basketball, men's and women's, is that teams are going to start to have less and less depth simply because of the transfer portal. Coaches are going to have a harder time keeping that eighth and ninth player on their roster because those players are going to be like, well, I can start somewhere else. Maybe we're not going to win as many games, but I'll play more and they're going to leave. But Don Staley literally has an Olympian coming off her bench. She has um, a six foot seven player who might be the most valuable sixth woman in all of basketball coming off her bench. She has two point guards, depending on who she wants to start, but potentially a sixth year player who um, is one of the most level headed 
smart point guards in the game or a freshman Raven Johnson coming off the bench. And so I think that's the big storyline with South Carolina. The big advantage they have over other teams in their region is Maryland, who is a super, super fun team led by Diamond Miller. Tons of playmakers on that team. Indiana, who is a team that has recently surged kind of to the top of women's basketball. They're a very balanced team, um, inside, outside, scoring-wise, defense, super balanced. Utah, out of the Pac-12, another sort of recent power. Um, I like that Greenville 2 region just because you have this, like, young money coming uh, into women's basketball. Alyssa Peely's really fun to watch. She's, oh, hi, pup. Oh. Sorry, we, we we have we have a dog interrupting the uh, the podcast here. <laughs> I know. Too bad Harlow's not here. Um, she's on a walk currently. But um, oh, young money out of Greenville too. Basically, Utah, Indiana, sort of these these teams that have just come onto the national stage in a really big way. Um, and then Seattle three, Virginia Tech. Kenny Brooks is a fantastic coach. They won the ACC tournament title with Liz Kitley, Elizabeth Kitley. Um, Great center, I think probably behind Aaliyah Boston, one of the best centers and in, in post players in the draft this year. UConn is UConn. They, at times yeah. this season, sort of looked like they were going to be taped together. Um, they had to, you know, move games because they didn't have seven healthy players at times and yet come back win the Big East and I have them in my NCAA championship game. And then Seattle 4, you have Iowa down there, but also Stanford. And I think... Um, Stanford is uh, maybe the softest one seed they've been in a long time, simply because they just haven't had the consistency. But I also, you know, postseason Tara is um, something and someone you don't always bet against. So I think it's going to be a fantastic, um, a fantastic tournament. And usually you can sort of say, put all four number one seeds in the final four and you'll probably get 75% of that right. I don't know if you can right. say that this year. I really do think there's going to be some big upsets and I don't think we're going to have three number one seeds in the final four. So, so you have Washington state going to the final four then, right? Uh, <laughs> I, I like, I, I thought that was so cool that the Cougars made it. And I, again, I saw some of your, your tweets about that of just knowing, knowing how hard it is to recruit to that program, even from like a larger scale, like it's, it's hard to recruit football players to that program. Like we've both been the Pullman it's, it's out there. And, and for them to, to be able to clinch that, um, you've, you've spent a lot of time in that city. Just, just tell me a little bit about how, how, how unlikely of a, of a qualification that is. Yeah. I mean, I think there's just so much going into it, right? Like getting to Pullman is so hard. Um, and it's not just that, like, top American players don't want to go there. A lot of the top international women's basketball players that are coming to play um, are from Spain or from France. Like Cammie Etheridge isn't getting players from Spain and France. She's going to like Kosovo, literally, to try and find players who want to play at Pullman. And if you think, if you're a parent um, and you're saying, I, you know, my kid is going to go play college sports. I want to go somewhere where I can watch them. It, Pullman is not an easy place to get to, especially for a winter sport. You're looking at a flight into Spokane and then two hour drive, maybe if the roads aren't terrible. I've made that drive in the dark with bad road conditions. It, it can be like a three hour drive. I've done that before. And you're like seeing cars off the side. And so 
I think it's it has a lot of inherent challenges. It's also a beautiful college town. There's surprisingly really good restaurants. I always enjoyed going up to Pullman because I would eat well, I would drink well. It was beautiful. Um, you know, it's, it's a nice town to walk around. <laughs> it's easy. Yeah. Yeah. It is. And it, you know, if you're talking about a place that has a college feel, like I went to Michigan, the biggest show in Ann Arbor was was Michigan football usually, but Michigan sporting events. Same thing in Pullman, like the biggest show in town. And, and I think the university could do a much better job of sort of broadcasting and, and getting its sporting events out to the population and the public. But, you know, it's not like they're, it's not like being in LA. It's not like being, you know, um, it's not like being there where there's other things to do. Like you are the biggest show in town, but beyond that, I just think this team story, how they've come together, the fun that they have with it. Again, they're just a team that you watch and there's a lot of joy there. Cami Etheridge is so well-respected by coaches in the field. Um, you know, we, we ran an anonymous poll at the athletic this week and we talked to more than 30 coaches, um, asking them who's the best X's and O's coach in women's college basketball. And Etheridge wasn't necessarily everyone's number one pick. Um, but there were a lot of coaches who I was talking to who named like three to four people. And then I said, okay, you have to pick one. And Etheridge might not have been the one they chose, but she was in that group of three to four. She's, she's a really, really good coach. I think Washington state's going to have a hard time holding on to her over the next two, um, coaching carousels simply because of what she has been able to do there. So, so that, that was going to be kind of a follow-up to that is, you know, there's, there's so much talk about how this like conference realignment and the TV money is going to be changing football. You know, people just like to talk about football, but this, this is going to have some, I think, weird effects on both the men's and, and women's college basketball games. And like, where, where does, where does your mind go when people talk of expansion and kind of like that? And, and do you think that, like teams like, like say like a Washington state or, you know, like, like some of the schools that are definitely kind of like on that bubble of, you know, whether they're going to get left behind or not, like what, what happens to those schools and those teams in in the women's college basketball game? Yeah. I think from a women's basketball perspective, it's really unfortunate. You look at the PAC 12 historically, this is a conference that has really prioritized women's basketball. Um, They've gone after big coaches they had decided, you know, in the mid aughts to like really schedule hard non-conference to make sure that they became a conference that would be well-respected in the postseason and get a lot of teams into the tournament. And that happened. Um, you have so many different teams that have been to final fours and elite eights out of this conference. You look at sort of the success that the Oregon schools have had, but also the run to the final four that Lindsay Gottlieb and Cal had. You look at Tara Vandeveer's success. You look at Washington when uh, Mike Neighbors was there with Kelsey Plum, the run they made to the final four. You look at Arizona, the run they made to the national championship. There's not a lot of conferences that you can look at over the last decade that have that much sort of diversity in terms of teams being great um, and making those deep runs. And so now you're taking UCLA and USC out of the mix, two teams that I think are really on the rise. Um, and the Big Ten, which is a conference that I think this year really established itself as the best conference in the country, adds two more teams, becomes the first bi-coastal conference, what that means for recruiting, what that means for TV money, um, and how those two things sort of feed each other, right, in, in the college sports ecosystem, <sighs> It's kind of, you know, as I talk with Pac-12 coaches, everyone is sort of in the same boat. Like, where do we go from here? What is it going to look like? Um, how are we going to keep 
women's basketball as a priority and going to, you know, what happens based on who joins or what conferences sort of realignment looks like. I don't know if there is necessarily going to be a conference outside of the Big Ten again that sort of emphasizes and prioritizes women's basketball like we saw the Pac-12 do. Um, so it's, I don't know what's going to happen. It's, it's, I think it's anyone's guess at this point. I know that apparently the Pac-12 has their TV contract coming down the pipes. Um, I'll believe it when I see it, you know, but um, we'll see. I think it's, it's interesting times for West Coast basketball. It, it, it'll be fascinating just because like, as you said, like the, the Pac-12 has a reputation and kind of like a group of coaches who seem like they take a lot of pride in, in kind of having that out here on the West Coast. But you know, I was just talking uh, with this about somebody on the football side. It's like, you know, if, if coaches' salaries are going way up on one side of the country, but they're staying on, on the other, like every, everyone's got a bottom line at, at some point. And it'll just be just be fascinating to see like where, where the talent um, within like staffs even, even falls in terms of, you know, if, if it leaves the Pac-12 or, or not. Well, and I think the other sort of, you know, there've been all these really major changes in terms of realignment and the transfer portal and NIL over the last few years. But as we look to the next 10 years of women's basketball, you know, Gino Oriema and Tara Vandeveer are not going to be coaching forever. And you sort of have these two legends of the game that, you know, I grew up watching, you know, most, a lot of fans grew up watching players have grown up wanting to play for these players at some point they're going to retire and these ADs are going to be tasked with finding, you know, new coaches for these spots. I think Stanford has Kate pay, you know, sort of coach in waiting. Um, but so much of Stanford is Tara. Right. Um, and so mm. with all of the changes that are coming sort of from a rules perspective and from conference alignment and, and what that looks like in TV contracts, you also sort of have these giants in the game who, you know, I don't know how much longer they're going to be coaching. What does that mean for college basketball in terms of the power shift? And especially when we talk about the West Coast, where, you know, Stanford has anchored the Pac-12 since it was the Pac-10 and, and like everything she has meant to this conference. um, It's kind of weird to think about what the future of this conference looks like in every way, but especially when Tara is not leading the Cardinal. It's, this year is really striking too, because for for a long time it felt like that maybe Oregon and like Kelly Graves might be kind of the candidate to lead, like maybe the the next wave. Um, they've kind of had two suboptimal seasons in a row, and that that comes off of like the really big disappointment of twenty twenty and and having that roster, uh, which I think everyone probably a consensus Final Four roster. A lot of people think maybe national title team. Um, I, I, I think next year is going to be really important for them. I mean, it's, it's, it's just weird to be here in March and, and not be reading, you know, Oregon's, Oregon's pre, uh, you know, previews for the women's tournament. Instead, it's like the WNIT. Like, I, like do, you th- do you think Oregon fans should be, like, worried at all over the last few years? Or is this just kind of, this just kind of happens? It's cyclical. <laughs> I, I don't think there's reason to like, you know, panic. Um, I'm also a pretty level person. So I, I find there's right. a few reasons to panic when it comes to college sports. Um, obviously there are. Earth, earthquakes will do those. it. For, no. mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Those earthquakes yeah. panic. Um, no, I think Oregon and Oregon state, they're young teams. They have a lot of returning talent. I think, again, you sort of look at the changes that have come when it comes to the transfer portal over the last two years, Every coach that I talk to, 
you know, whether they've been a head coach for one year, two years, or 20 years, everyone is saying how sort of the transfer portal has really changed the way you do your job. Um, I, as I was talking to a lot of coaches for the anonymous poll, the question I kept coming back to was, you know, do you think we're ever going to see someone like Tara or Gino where they're at one school for 30 years ever again? And they were like, hell no, definitely not. Like basketball is changing. The sport is changing. You know, I'm talking to coaches who are in their forties and fifties and I'm like, are you going to want to do this for another 20 years? And, um, you know, usually the answer is no, it's just changed so much. And so I think, you know, there was turnover on both of those rosters. And I think, you know, pre-portal days, right, before players didn't, before players, when they had to sit out a year, you would think like, oh, well, when a program loses three seniors, there's going to be sort of this like ebb and flow to it, right? Um, But between seniors and transfer portals, I think all transfer portal entries, like a lot of coaches are just sort of planning on losing 30 to 40% of their roster every year. And so coaches need to figure out ways to identify talent quickly in the portal, recruit talent quickly from the portal, make sure those players are going to be the good fit, and then incorporating them into your team based on when they get there. You know, these players who are in the portal, they might commit in March, right? But they might not get to campus until September or August. And so, you know, depending on prior commitments or, you know, depending on whatever, if they need to graduate, but there's, the job is just different now. And so I think when you're looking at these teams where like Oregon and Oregon state, where they had a down year, they had these long stretches of uh, losing, like they're still incorporating players. This isn't like the years of having four players who play together for four years. Like I think that's behind us. Like that's going to be few and far between. And I think those teams that do have that are going to be really, really good. I mean, another team in the Pac-12, Arizona, like you look at the run they made to the national championship, that was a core of players that was together for four years, three, three, four years. Um, And this year they have a lot of transfers coming in and it's kind of a different result in Tucson. And so I think this isn't sort of like, you know, a lot of fans of programs are like, ah, the world is on fire. Um, But it's not just in your backyard. Like everyone is sort of dealing with this problem everywhere. Um, And it's not, you know, the the teams that I think are going to be really, really good are the teams that have been together. And, And I think that's also true if you look at the teams in the NCAA tournament right now, like South Carolina, those starters have been together a long time. Iowa, for the most part, those starters have been together a long time. They haven't had to use as many transfers. UConn, for the most part, they have two of their seven or eight that are transfers. But again, players who have been together two, three years. Um, Indiana has a few more transfers. But again, you sort of have these two, three players that have been together for so long that sort of carry the culture and the foundation of a team so that if you bring in one or two um maybe it's not sort of as obvious in terms of how it affects your team, but you know, Beaver and Ducks fans don't need to be freaking out. You have two coaches who are really good at what they do. Um, I think everyone kind of in the last two years has realized that the job um, is very different and the path to success uh, has changed a little bit in some ways. We'll get you out of here on this. What do you miss most about Portland that you can't get in Minnesota? And why is it better here than 
where you currently uh, live? We were actually just talking about this, my husband and I. Um, he The other day, he said, you know, homegrown smokers franchising. Should we buy one and bring it to Minneapolis? I was like, oh, I miss homegrown smoker. Um, I miss the food so much. I miss the drinks a lot. I miss the people. Mm. Thank you. Appreciate um, that. that. That's what we were fishing for, essentially. Was, yep. Yeah. Yep. I know. I shouldn't have listed you behind food and drinks, but I think you can. Yeah, I, I would. No, I, would I miss yeah. I miss a lot of things. I miss um, Cocoa Donuts, their maple bars. That's, you know, we, there's a, we found a really good donut shop near our house out here, but they don't have maple bars. They have maple donuts, but not bars. And for some reason, I think the ratio is different and it really bothers me. Um, hmm. So that's disappointing. I miss Porcano. I miss a Pizza Shoals. We have some friends that went out there recently and we gave them like, oh, here's everywhere you have to go. And I said, a pizza shoals will change your life. You're never going to want to eat another pizza again. And they said, yeah. Also, Louis, surprisingly good spaghetti and meatballs that we discovered. They, so so they closed for like three years mm-hmm. and then they, and they, they reopened, reopened uh, like walking distance from my house. And it's it's lovely. I, I like going to Louis. It's a very, it's and- a very... It just kind of feels have you like had the spaghetti like, and meatballs. I haven't had the spaghetti and meatballs yet. I had uh, I had like their uh, penne and peppers, uh, which was awesome. Okay. Um, but like that whole place has just kind of like old school pizzeria fa- family style vibe to it that I I really enjoy. It's a nice nice addition up here in St. John's. Yeah, I mean, I could spend like twenty minutes talking to you about food, and now I'm like, what, what's really what's Minnesota what's Minnesota like known for food wise? Other than like your your hot dish and casserole. We've done a lot of pasta bakes this winter. I won't lie. Um, This long, long winter. No, Minnesota (laughs) has pretty good food. I will say we've, we've found some nice spots. There's an Argentinian pizza place that we really like. Um, I feel like a lot of it is like us looking for our, like, we're like, Oh, where's our pizza shoals? Like like your Portland version of, yeah. Yeah, like we found there's a place called Broder's where we get um, spaghetti and meatballs and we call it like our our Minnesota Louis. <laughs> um, same thing. It's called Baludo. It's like our Minnesota pizza shoals. Um, so there's definitely that. I think there's like a lot of places. There's a really big beer scene out here. Um, there's a lot of like gin distilleries, surprisingly. Mm. Um, no, I think the the part about Minnesota... I obviously miss a lot about Oregon, um, but I don't think you can beat lake life out here. Um, it's pretty special. And the other nice thing that I didn't realize living in Oregon, where you live somewhere that's really hilly and mountainous, is that the sunsets just aren't as good every day. Um, when you live somewhere flat, you get better sunsets, which geographically makes sense when you say it out loud and then you sound kind of stupid. But um yeah, I, we get really gorgeous sunsets like every night out here um, all year round. I was talking to somebody a bit ago who um, like w- kind of lives like around like Swan Island, like in Portland. And they're like, yeah, like sun goes down at like 3 p.m. there just because like because it hits like the West Hills and you're at like the very right. bottom. And then it's just it's just dark. It's just dark. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So, yeah. Fl- so, uh, no mountains are great is your review of Minnesota. Yeah. I appreciate that. You know, there's, there's, there's pros and cons of everywhere you live. We have tornadoes here, which is a bummer. Um, 
No, yeah, we'll probably be getting them here soon. I know, but like, and yeah. then that's the thing. Like, we don't have fires. I guess that's kind of nice. But no, I think the the lake life is definitely for me the part that um, you know when I think about sort of where my soul is the happiest. It is on the water, on a boat at the lake, and and I get to do that. You know, we live right in Minneapolis, and we are, you know, within a few miles. There's a few different city lakes, but you know, within three different directions, I can drive five to 15 minutes and be on my kayak in a lake in the city. Yeah, so. that's awesome. Yeah, Port, Portland definitely doesn't have that. Um, well, we miss you over here. Uh, I appreciate this conversation. I look forward to talking to you next year. Um, you know, uh, may, maybe I should journal a little bit to just keep you keep you up to date. You could send letters. That would be fun. Yeah, yeah. Or we just podcast, you know, let's just, let's just turn, let's just turn this into content every time. So, uh, Chantel, thanks. Thanks so much for doing this. You're the best at what you do. Um, and everyone please read her coverage over this next month for the women's college basketball tournament. It's going to be great. Uh, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. I just realized actually you're the I-5 corridor and Minnesota has the I-35. So I'm happy to be your Eastern correspondent on the I-35. Perfect. Yeah, I've, I've definitely, uh, I've had people be like, well, you can't move now, right? Because you've kind of like, it's like, you can always change freeways. Like it's, it wasn't that like complicated <laughs> of a logo. To, yeah. Yeah. That's All the right. nice thing. Thanks, there man. are roads everywhere. <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> Thanks, Intel.